You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Sarah Ellison, a reporter covering media for The Post. Today, I am joined by Josh Sapan, a media executive and author. He was the CEO of AMC Networks for 26 years until the end of 2021 when he stepped down. And he is here to talk to us about the future of media and his new book entitled The Third Act, Reinventing Your Next Chapter. Josh Sapan, welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a treat. Um, I want to start with the book. What, why did you write it? And why did you write it now? Um, and is it fair to say that this was research for your third act? Uh, and the answer to that is yes. It was research for my third act. Uh, it was perhaps born more of anxiety than anything else. Uh, a little curiosity as I came to um, the end of what would be my conventional career. I got very interested in what I might do next. I began to observe uh, friends, colleagues, associates who were in that era. And some of them were doing uh, terrific things. And I became enamored of them and then began to just look at the whole group, including the ones I knew and the ones I didn't know. And hence the book was born. So you take 60 people um, and some are famous like Jane Fonda and Alan Alda, and, but some are lesser known. Uh, we have Donzella Washington who became the oldest graduate of Alabama A&M University at 80. Um, tell us about what connected all of these 60 individuals. You know, I think um, if it's fair to say, I was, I was actually speaking very recently to one of the people featured in the book um, named Paul Dillon, who uh, served in Vietnam just uh, and came out uh, of the war and uh, said that everyone looked at him like he was a bad guy. And he became a consultant and a real professional. And he then uh, really developed an incubator for vets, uh, just an example of someone like Donzella Washington, who you mentioned, and many others. And if there's one, I guess, consistent thread in the people, it is that they are not, in a conventional sense, putting their feet up. They are not resting on laurels. They're not looking backward. They're really deeply looking forward. And in many cases, they report that they're more, excuse the overused word, engaged, enthusiastic, affected, and affecting than they were in the sort of conventional standard part of their careers. And it's, it's both a curiosity and it is, um, it's, it's, it's a bit of an inspiration. It's fascinating. I mean, how did you find some of these people? I'd love for you to tell us the story of Andrea Peterson, for example. It was so fascinating to read that. Yeah. I wondered, where did, you, where did you get some of these stories? Well, you know, I did I did do research and I did have the help of someone uh, doing research because Andrea Peterson was a crazy story. Uh, you see a picture of her. She was in a fire as a kid and then she had a rather, I guess you can say, conventional career. And then she became a firewoman, you know, an EMT person. And, you know, it's just son of a gun at that age to say I'm going to be a fight fires is really pretty wild. Um, there was actually someone else who worked in media, similar to us, and, and she worked for 30 years in media as a journalist uh, and then did another gig in journalism. 
but she told me, Ellen Weiss, that she had always loved America's national parks. And so she became a volunteer park ranger. I happened to know her through her husband, so that was fortuitous, but a combination of those in abundant evidence, people that I knew through connections, and then uh, uh, some research. And then some had been frankly covered in media. Um, there's a wonderful story of a guy who uh, was very close with his wife, really buddies, and his wife passed away. He had a job and he was bereft afterwards. And he um, then purchased the smallest circulation newspaper in America and became not William Randolph Hearst, but the publisher of the smallest circulation print newspaper in America and is just loving it to death. Um, that's great. That's just so great. So what's the, what's the biggest lesson that you learned um, in profiling all these people? And do you have any advice for someone who's thinking about their next chapter? How, you know, what would you say to someone who is thinking about that? Well, let me first stipulate that uh, I'm the furthest thing in the world from an authoritative gerontologist, <laughs> psychologist, sociologist, or anything with just in it. Uh, so uh, it's really, I come by it as a lay person having worked in, in media. Um, it, it is, uh, it, it's, it's, I can name names and I'll keep riffing names and they may not be that meaningful, but it, it does seem that, um, to say it simply, benefiting others a bit has an intoxicating and circulating effect and can make one feel better about themselves and the world and many people in the book are truly um, inch by inch making the world a bit of a better place. And some other people are, I wouldn't say living out their fantasies, but they are getting to do what might have been resident in their desire, but never actualized. And those two things seem worth doing if one has the means and capability. Um, and so how do you know when you've reached that stage? And can you talk about for yourself, um, how you came to the decision to step down from AMC? Well, that was uh, that was sort of planned and uh, inevitable and arguably actuarial, and so that was uh, that was the the, the end was a, a good time and it was a wonderful brief thirty six years, uh, and I'm indebted to all the people who uh, founded the company and who were at the company. And Sarah, I'm going to ask you rhetorically. You don't need to answer what. Forgive me for doing this, but it really does strike me as true and almost universal. Is what did you ever think of doing differently in your life? What did you think of doing next? What might you have you done if you were not a media journalist, an esteemed media journalist? My guess is there's a couple of answers. Don't answer if you don't want to. That's not part of the bargain. Yeah, but, I'll keep that to myself. But I see the exercise. I understand yeah. the exercise. You know, I've gone around that when I've asked people that question, there's always an answer, and right. and the answers are, um, they're really frequently um, um, sentimental, spiritual, and mm. fantastical a bit. And so I think those are sort of nice guidelines. Um, fair enough. I think that's a good, that's a good broad set of guidelines for people to follow. Um, so to your old day job for a bit, if you'll, if you'll allow us. Um, you are credited uh, as helping 
to usher in the golden age of television. Um, and in many ways, AMC was a basic cable version of HBO with shows like Mad Men, Killing Eve, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, which is so near and dear to my heart. Um, but what do you look for? What did you look for in a pitch and a script? And, and what is the thing that you find that is the most essential ingredient for a hit? Sure. Well, let me first acknowledge that uh, um, the, the, the wisdom of others is largely what I relied upon in, in my, though it's really true, it's not just a standard statement. The wisdom of my colleagues was first mm -hmm. and foremost, no kidding, um, it's not a company of one, it's a company of 2,000. Um, I, I think, and, and they sort of made it all happen. I can name their names, but it would take a couple of hours. So, um, you know, I think that, that, um, that there is a little bit of sort of just truth of voice that comes through, I think, narrative when people respond to it. It, it's like meeting a person who is real, genuine, and you say, I really like that person. And, and so there's something in a script, I think, that is true. It rings human. It rings um, essential. It rings not imitative. And mm. that's easy to say. And then there are the brilliant craftspeople who make it happen. And like you, I'm an extraordinary fan of Breaking Bad and, and Better Call Saul. And so to say that is simple, but Vince Gilligan, who created it and with his partner, Peter Gould, went on to make it, I think sort of make magic happen. I don't know how it happens. It really mm -hmm. does feel a little magical. You know, I knew someone who knew Sam Shepard, the playwright, and, um, and she was his girlfriend for a while. And she said, this is years and years ago, she said Sam would sit down at his then typewriter and work for a few days and sort of spit out buried child or you know and it it seemed like it was sort of passing as i heard it passing through him like he was mm. not as crafting it as mm. he was funneling it that's a little easy and a little convenient but i do think there's a little bit of people who have that sort of capability where they right. really do are like a bit vessels for somehow the constellation of stuff that makes for something brilliant that renders on the screen, you know, and, and uh, then they're of course professional and they hire the right people, they cast, direct, they know how to do that. But it does begin, I think with like great writing, um, it, it, it's somewhere resident inside the person. You know, you had so much success at AMC Networks. Um, Walking Dead was, if not the most popular um, or biggest hit on television, one of the most. How did you convince creators to, to uh, come to you and to come to AMC um, rather than go to HBO or to Netflix? What kind of a pitch did you have for them? What were you offering them that others might not? Besides money or or other other sorts of you know specific uh, specific. You know, a, a, an honest answer is at the time. Um, am I speaking over these extraordinary clips of, <laughs> of, of walkers? I can't do that. I would never interrupt. No, them. we have to give them their time, and then now, please, please continue. <laughs> Don't mess with a walker, man, because you'll make noise, and then <laughs> you will live to regret it. But um, 
You know, it's interesting. In, in When we began, there was not necessarily a ready home for some of the material. So uh, Mad Men had been with Matthew Weiner for six or seven years and no one wanted to do it. So it was less challenging. It then became more challenging as television went through its own evolution. And I think what AMC had to offer and still has to offer that's unique is um, some of the streaming services, as we all know, are huge. They really are huge and they um, have options for absolutely everyone. And I think it's fair to say that AMC and its streaming services offered a front, uh, a, win a store window for creative material that was unmissable. It didn't disappear. You didn't get your one day and then you have to go find it. It really was in evidence. And in the store, the front of the store window, because it was a boutique and it wasn't a large store. And I think mm -hmm. that's a trap to creative people apart from money who want to see their work um, attended to. Did you ever pass on anything that you came to regret? Yes. Do you mind if I not mention it, lest I have a bad uh, afternoon? <laughs> well, uh, it's it's obviously your choice. I would love to hear it, but we'll let you off the hook if you if you don't want to. I just don't want to appear really dumb in front of uh, whomever is paying attention to this. Yeah, because one is bound to make. You know, there's bound to be omissions, and some of them are, they're actually irreconcilable, if you want the truth. They're just almost irreconcilable. Uh, and uh, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go through that trauma again. I've done it once. <laughs> it's bad enough the first time, I guess. Um, yeah. So we're talking about um, that golden age of television. Do you think that that, that is over? Um, there's there's a lot of discussion now about how you ha there's there's such a variety of tastes and some people are trying to appeal to everyone. Um, you'd say that Netflix would be an example of that, or or do you need to be more specialized now and sort of find your your niche? I guess in other words, the question is how do you balance quality and quantity in today's yeah. world? Yeah, well, well, I can I'll, two part answer if you can tolerate it. Sure. Um, at AMC, we set up streaming services that were targeted. So we set up one um, called Sundance Now, which was related to the spirit of Sundance, and we operated the Sundance channel. We set up one called Acorn, which was British uh, mysteries and dramas for fans of that. There's one called All Black that was founded by uh, Bob Johnson, and that speaks for itself. And there's one called Shudder, which is for horror fans. So those are specialized streaming services. But I think that the this the notion of quality gone away is slightly overstated. And if one looks at the shows currently that are uh, yesterday, I think the Producers Guild Awards were identified and the Directors Guild Awards. It was a Producers Guild, I think, yesterday. And boy, the lineup of shows was it was just spectacular. It was insanely good. It was mm -hmm. so. Yeah, there's a there's an abundance of material, but you know, I would sort of say, do you do you think White Lotus is good? I think White Lotus is spectacular. Um, right. You know, just as an example, because it was recognized not on mm -hmm. not an AMC show, and and um, so I, I, by the way, I don't think the patient on Hulu 
with Steve Carell necessarily got the quote love that it, that I might have given it. But I think there's so much Poker Face just uh, is a relatively mm -hmm. new show. There are too many great shows in my view to name. I think mm -hmm. it's we may be in the double golden age, but maybe we've gotten a little bit accustomed to it. Um, and so we have so many tech companies getting into the entertainment business, Apple, Amazon, you could argue that Netflix is something of a tech company. How has that changed the creative process and the risk taking um, that we associate with great media and great entertainment? Um, do you think it's, do you think the culture has changed because of those, those new uh, companies that have come in? You know, um, I think they probably, one could argue that they have a, you're a business runner, they, that they have a sort of genetic position that is advantageous because they have a system that goes beyond video. And that's hard to argue, at least conceptually. Um, I think if one looks at the material that is on the non, if you want to call them tech companies, and I'll begin with um, um, HBO and uh, Showtime or Paramount Global or Stars or AMC, there is a tremendous amount of material, I think, distinctive to those services. And so I think the, the tech companies have their own position and it will undergo, I, th I believe, evolution. And I didn't mention Disney and Disney Plus and Nat Geo and all their subcategories within it, their brands. But it, it sure seems to me like um, they're making great material. It, it, it's tending, as life goes forward, to be more <clears throat> brand identified and distinctive for each. And, and the tech companies will do what they do. And at the moment, it's pretty darn good. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Apple TV Plus is doing some wonderful, just wonderful material. Um, but I get confused sometimes about where's where. But I think if you watch Slow Horses, I think it's if I'm not yeah. mistaken, Gary Oldman, you know, inarguably wonderful, and it, I, to okay. me, inarguable. And and but so true is of Hulu, and so true of HBO, and so true of Showtime, and so true of AMC. Um, um you just rattled off a variety of different. Yeah, there's so many, there's sort of seven or eight major streaming options, and we could see even more consolidation in the near future. Um, how many major streaming services is a sustainable number that the U.S. market can handle? Um, and out of the big players, where do you see consolidation happening? You know, Paramount comes up so often in these conversations. Yeah, you know, you, you may be a better student of all this than me, no kidding. You know, because I think there's a few things happening all at once, it seems. One is that um, that uh, there is some, quote, bundling of services uh, within companies that are owned and sometimes outside. So there's discounting and price advantage to buy groups of them, which changes, I think, <clears throat> a consumer appetite slash tolerance. You can buy more if you get a deal. Um, and there are special interests as opposed to general interest. And, um, you, you know, not to slide into an analogy, but 
there are stores of any sort that serve everybody. And then there are stores that serve very few, both online and in bricks and mortar. So someone in New York City where I live can go shop pretty happily at a department store, which is sounds anachronistic, but they seem to be intact, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, et cetera, and then walk up the street. And these are high end, of course, and you can go into Lululemon and be guaranteed what you're looking for. And uh, and so I think that there's compatibility as long as the you know consumers are smart, not dumb, and they're to be respected. And their wallets are to be respected and their their taste is to be respected. So I think there is just the obligation to do it well, I think, yeah, in order to succeed. But I think all those things will keep changing. You know, pricing will keep changing. Bundling with tech will keep changing. Bundling with other audio services will keep changing. And there's going to be an evolution. It won't look like it looks today. It's a little difficult to see how it will look. Yeah. Um, that's what keeps us all sort of busy and yeah. guessing, I guess. Um, AMC was also, uh, you know, considered ripe for acquisition by a larger company. Um, and in recent years, AMC's lost value. Do you see? Do you see it being sold? Why hasn't it sold? Is that something that you could see happening in the next year or two? You know, it's certainly not, literally not my job. And so I, I'm um, <laughs> only a cheerleader and supporter and shareholder. Um, and I, I just would say that that the share price decline, the multiple compression, as it's called among the pros, uh, has been pretty universal. It's across the board in media. It's actually been pervasive in tech as well. Um, you know, so you, you may know better than me how much of it is alteration and in interest rates. Um, and how much of it is sort of market could be market saturation and what's what was considered, what were considered appropriate levels of leverage that may not because of the escalation in interest rates now be treated so fondly. Um, you know, my for my own taste, AMC is a killer company. It's spectacular. It's got a spectacular culture. It has a spectacular uh, 35, 40 year history of invention and reinvention and and the Dolans, beginning with Chuck Dolan and Jim Dolan, and now Kristen Dolan really are, you know, really, uh, they excel and they've always excelled and they've always guided it well. And so I, I would say bright future in two words. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you were always, you know, you were pretty early in exploring international expansion and international uh, content, which has become one of the main growth areas for so many entertainment companies. Um, does that push mean that the U.S. market is sort of tapped out if you're looking for growth? Or what's, that's, I guess that's the question. Is that, is it a, is it a move of necessity or does it allow for something different from a content perspective? Yeah, so I think I think I understood your question. I'm not sure because, but I'll answer it in two parts if I might, and hopefully I, I cover what you meant. I can ask um, it again if I wasn't clear, but <laughs> well, I think I may. I think I'll. I think I understood it. Two things. One is on the streaming side, particularly uh, uh, round numbers, a billion plus, uh, seven billion people on the planet. Round numbers, a billion plus who have high speed connection and 
the numbers are, I'm going to get them half right. I think Netflix with a quarter of a billion worldwide subscribers. But that numbers, that total broadband number across the globe is going to get well above uh, a billion. I don't know where it goes, two billion, three billion. So on the streaming side, if that's the current preferred means of consumption at the moment, either ad supported or not, I think there's extraordinary room for growth. On the content side, if you were talking about that, you know, one of the most exciting things that I was exposed to was um, TV shows that traveled across borders. And I can name a slew of them, but I'm gonna name a few because they're just so relevant. You know, uh, the night manager was something that was Brit uh, that we did and I thought it was wonderful. But then later on, we um, had uh, a French show called The Bureau and a Swedish show called The Restaurant and um, and of course exported The Walking Dead all across the planet. So I think the globe in a sense becomes, um, I don't mean more homogenous, but it becomes more of a market opportunity, both in terms of business opportunity and in terms of content generation, both. I hope mm -hmm. I did answer in, in that babble. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's well done. Well done. That was exactly sort of what I was what I was getting at. Um, I want to go to our audience because we do have an audience question. Um, you hear a lot about cord cutters and the death of linear television. Um, and we have a question from Carlton Bush from New York who asks, where will basic cable networks be in five years? Um, you know, I guess <clears throat> there's been there has been cord uh, there's been a reduction in the numbers. And um, it is interesting, however, that that and forgive me for trying to sound like an academic, which I'm not, but it does strike me that the history of media is that it adapts. And so it takes advantage of technological changes and then with content changes. So I guess I would, my attempt at an answer would be that, that uh, live sports and news um, become a more significant part of what linear is because it's urgent. Uh, I think is one thing. I think a second thing is that um, I think people's imagination may find formats that are not yet revealed that take advantage of live. I think we're on one now, uh, Washington Post Live, that that is is. Um, is something that could find its way to a different route over time. You know, it's pretty interesting. And mm -hmm. so I think there'll be invention. I think there'll be invention against the tech, against, in accord with the technology is what I meant to say. And I think that happened in TV and it happened with the shows you reference. The, the complex so-called dramas are a little easier to watch on demand than they are on linear because um, you can pay attention, you can stop and make sure that you're not interrupted when you take a break to go get a uh, cup of water. So so I think that there'll be evolution and evolution and evolution. And I, I personally think that some of the distinction between what we see now as social media, um, 
all of the services that are predominant and conventional or linear may find a way to join at least a bit. They may not be quite as segregated as TikTok and Instagram are on the internet and uh, this service is on cable. I think that some of that mm -hmm. stuff and those experiences will merge. And by the way, if I may to wit this, you know what I mean? Um, and so, so what happens when you do that? If you get good minds to figure it out, you get experiences that have not yet occurred. And uh, you know, HBO has a, a big hit show that's made from a video game. And I mm -hmm. think one see that go on and on and on and on. Um. I wish we had more time. I wanted to ask you about, you know, you're making independent films now. Um, we're going to have to put a pin in this conversation and have you back because we have run out of time, sadly. Um, Josh Sapan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.